0: All right, one more sleep, Parker. I'm excited, buddy. Are you?
1: I'm looking forward to this uh, World Series. It's nice to see different teams, and I, I will admit I'm kind of one of those people. I love, I love me dynasties. Don't get me wrong. I think there's something to be said for having somebody who's always in the finals so you can develop a hatred for them. I just I think it's healthy. I think baseball is better when there's a dynasty. But man, this offseason, considering what it's provided us in terms of, I mean, I was looking the other day. I got I think I got I've, I've made one correct prediction in the postseason so far. One correct posit, uh, pick, um, and I mean I think that's good. You know, if your favorite team isn't in it. Hmm or the team that you don't have a vested interest in, if it isn't in it, then give me somebody new. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Friday, the Diamondbacks and the uh, Texas Rangers start the Wild Card World Series. I think we can call it that at Globe Life Park or is it Globe Life Field? Field, I think. Globe Life Field uh, in uh, Arlington, Texas. Nathan Uvalde on the mound for the Texas Rangers and uh Zach Gallen for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um CJ Nitkowski, former MLB pitcher, MLB network radio host and Rangers analyst will join us in a few minutes to uh, look ahead to that particular series. Uh Kevin, it, it it as we as we get set for this for this World Series and you look at the pitching matchups and you look at you just kind of go around the diamond. And you look at who might have the edge at, at which position. Um, boy, it, it's really hard to overlook the fact that not only does Texas slug, but I look at Nathan Uvalde going in Game 1, mm-hmm. which sets him up for possibly three appearances. And we know Nathan Uvalde in the past has come out of the bullpen as well. He did it for the Red Sox. Now, yes, you know he's coming off an arm injury. I, I get all that, but... I, just looking at it, man that uh, that matchup really favors really favors the Rangers out of
0: the gate. It really does. Yeah, I just want good baseball, right? That's uh, you. You want uh, guys that that can go out and and uh, you know g- compete. I think that's that's sort of the whole deal. Is is you want your best guys, right? And Bruce Bochy, I think, with Nathan Avaldi is is sort of lining up 1, 4, and 7. If it's going to go 7, you want your best guy being able to pitch in Game 7. Now, would you see Nathan Avaldi coming out of the pen? I mean, desperate times, des- desperate measures. I just want good baseball. You mentioned the different mm-hmm. teams. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I-, I just want good games, right? I mean, on paper, if you look at the Rangers, they have the best two starters in my mind going. They have the better lineup, in my mind, going. They have more experience sprinkled out through their entire roster, and they have the better manager. I mean, with all of those things said, you would think that, you know, the, the Rangers going into this thing, if they don't beat themselves and leave the window open – you would think that the Rangers would have more of the the opportunity here to win the World Series. But, I mean, how can you root against the Diamondbacks? Sort of the Diamondbacks are, you know, kind of that team that nobody picked. I mean, absolutely nobody has picked them to get as far as they've gotten. And, you know, if they can continue to do things, get the right dude on base – uh, steal the base when they have to steal it and hang around and maybe steal one of the games on the road and be a little bit better at home, right? So you're thinking if you can win one of the two on the road, you can win two out of the three at home. If you're the Diamondbacks, that's sort of the ultimate goal there is you're shooting for that, put a little pressure on all the experience that, that the Rangers do have. But I'm with you. It's kind of nice to see different teams in it. Yeah,
1: and and I think, you know, just going around – just looking at the two teams and kind of doing a little bit of a deeper dive. The one area that I think really stands out for me are the bullpens in that if somehow these games can stay close, and that's going to be hard because I go around the field, you look in the outfield, Carter, Tavares, Garcia, uh, you know, Garcia and Corbin Carroll, you can make a case it's close there. Josh Young at third base. Corey Seager at shortstop. Second base, Cattell Marte. Probably you give the Diamondbacks the edge there. First base, I mean, maybe Christian Walker, providing he's the Christian Walker we saw in the regular season and not yep. the Christian Walker we saw, uh, we've seen in the postseason. Behind the plate, Gabriel Moreno, I think, is is emerging. But I get to that bullpen, and I look at how the Rangers have gotten here, and it's almost like, the Rangers have gotten here in spite of the back end of their bullpen, mm-hmm. whereas you can make the case that Kevin Ginkle and Paul Seewald are a large, a large part of the reason that the Diamondbacks are here because they've been able, especially in that Philly series, they were able to keep the lid on, on, on some pretty good sluggers.
0: Yeah, well, you wonder if the Diamondbacks, without Christian Walker, without Zach Gallen being their best pitcher, can continue to Mm -hmm, win baseball games against better teams, right? That's the thing is, uh, how many times can you go to the well? I don't think against the Rangers, because their lineup a lot of the times don't go up taking the big daddy hacks like the Phillies Mm -hmm. did, right? The Phillies, you could add and subtract. You could get them swinging, missing, because of what their dudes are trying to do. We've seen the Rangers go up and, you know, hit it where it's pitch, go the other way, hitter after hitter after hitter, if they have to do that, because the dude on the mound don't give up a bunch of homers, and that's the only way you're going to beat that guy, is, is to shorten up a little bit and think right center or, you know, think up the middle, and if you have to choke up with two strikes, you do that. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's... What do the Diamondbacks have to do to steal a game on the road? What do the Diamondbacks have to do to win two out of the three at home to just give the, the them an opportunity for the last two games to matter, right? That's what they're fighting for here is to, you know, get it to six and seven for it to actually matter. And they're playing with house money. Again, they're, they're not the favorites going into this thing. They're not the better team. But yeah. Mojo and momentum, and you know, playing that, uh, how dare you root against us card? They're going to try and use that to their advantage. And, like you said, maybe they do have the better bullpen. And if Tori Lovello can sort of not overthink it and especially early on, right? You got your couple of dudes in the rotation that, that helped you get here. Hopefully, Tory can lean on those two guys. And then in the other games, if he has to go to his pen a little bit earlier, that's when you do it. So, you know, there's, there's little things that if you're a fan of baseball, you can really look and hone in on and, and pick and poke at to see just if every manager – in this thing, will sort of let it play out, or sort yeah. of let their best player be their best player. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's sort of nice to watch new teams try and figure out ways to win baseball games.
1: I mean, I look at the the Rangers. You know, you've got Bruce Bochy. Um, by the way, Bruce Bochy's never lost a game seven, which I hadn't figured that out. Uh, you look at Bruce Bochy, the manager. People forget how good Corey Seager was in twenty twenty with the Dodgers. Yeah. When they won the World Series, Nathan Uvalde, we've talked about Nathan Uvalde in 2018. Uh, the Boston Red Sox do not win that series without him pitching six innings in that 18 inning game. They ended up losing to Max Muncie, but that was a game where he goes back in the back in the clubhouse after the game and gets a standing ovation from his teammates it, because, because well, it got of what got him sixty
0: million dollars too, right? It sure did. That. You know, yeah.
1: Rollas Chapman is not the guy he once was, but I mean, he. He was there when the Cubs won. Yeah, you know, people forget even a dude like Will Smith. Will Smith has pitched for the last two World Series winners. So yeah. Um there's there is that for for what it's worth, there is that that world season slash or world series slash postseason pedigree to the Texas Rangers. But I'm 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 with you in that when you, you were talking about the Rangers lineup and when CJ joined us, I'll ask him about this. Kevin, I can't remember what game it was against Houston, but I know you texted me during the game. I could probably go back and look. But we talked about how the Rangers the Rangers put like two or three runs up, and I think they had four balls hit just over eighty miles an hour or something like just found Spring. Sprumber like,
0: Valdez in game two, Yes, I think ex- it was. Sorry, exactly. I mean it was just yeah. it
1: was literally just taking what you're giving me and it was you know the whole idea that you know power wins in the postseason I think it does but that was an example where they just kind of picked away at the Astros and the Astros didn't recover from that
0: yeah yeah also too I think if Marcus Simeon can you know start driving some baseball that's why he's leading off right you know they're trying to score first punch force first however you want to say it if he can you know figure out whatever is ailing him to start driving baseballs The big part of the field. Max Scherzer's a guy too, right? Is he's, he's a future Hall of Famer who basically a lot of the times if you're a fan of the team that he's pitching on, you don't want him to really pitch. So there is some things that you can hone in on to watch and pay attention to that's in it's it's intriguing. Cito Gaston is a two-time
1: World Series champion manager with the Blue Jays. He will join us in the next segment. Uh, Cito, of course, it is the 30th anniversary of the 93 championship. He is also eligible for induction to the Hall of Fame this year as part of the Contemporary Era Committee. So uh, always great to talk to Cito. We will do, do that do that in the second half of the show. As always, 416-413-3959 is the back leg line. It's always open. Your thoughts on the World Series Uh, who you may think will win, and if you still want to vent about Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes (laughs) Gurriel Jr., I'm going to give you one more day to do it, and then I don't want to hear anything about it. Uh, CJ Nekowski is the former Major League pitcher, MLB Network radio host, Texas Rangers analyst, he and Ryan Spielborgs have a, a podcast, one of my favorite-named podcasts, Negative War Positive Vibes. I just love it. Uh, C.J. Nitkowski joins us in Blair and Blair & Barker. C.J., thanks for doing this, man. Hey, at what point did you realize that uh, the Rangers were going to the World Series? And don't say Game 7 or yeah. Game 6 or whenever it was. No,
2: well, it wasn't Yeah, that ground out to second base to end Game 7. I mean, the idea of going down to Houston— and trying to take Game 6 and 7 after a devastating Game 5 loss. I'd be lying to you if I told you I was full of confidence that the Rangers uh, were going to advance. I know we saw the trend of all the losses the first five games where every road team won, but like, what are the odds of that really happening again the way it did in 2019 for the Washington Nationals when they won their uh, World Series against the Astros. Like I just wasn't thinking that that was a reality, uh, quite honestly. And knowing that this team had so many emotional highs and so many emotional lows, and coming off that one in particular, that really tough loss, the three-run home run that Altuve hit in Game 5, seeing our fans and just how disheartened they were, uh, it was kind of feeling like, here we go again. We can't get past the Astros. Uh, but they found a way to do it. It was incredible.
0: Yeah, CJ, is there is there one thing or one turnaround that needs to happen to make this series a little easier for the Rangers, in your mind?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think we feel pretty good about the offense. Uh, we know what they're capable of doing. We've seen it certainly a lot during the season and, and what has popped up here in uh, the postseason. I think defense is in a pretty good spot. You know what you're getting with the bullpen in the sense that you know it's not going to be an easy ride, but it kind of is what it is, and it has worked so far. I think probably the thing that is out there just a little bit, and I think I heard you talking about it when I first got on, was, you know, what's going to happen in Game 3, assuming that's going to be Max Scherzer's start. Like, what version of Max Scherzer is probably the most unpredictable right now? And even how you kind of handle Game 4, the Rangers have put a lot of their starters in the bullpen at certain points in the season and at the very end of the season. Andrew Heaney, Martin Perez, John Gray, Dane Dunning. I mean, these are all guys that made meaningful starts for the Rangers this year that are now in the bullpen, we've seen Andrew Heaney come out and kind of make these you know, shorter starts uh, in the postseason where it's a couple of innings and it's worked out well. Uh, Cody Bradford, another lefty you can put in there uh, in that mix as well. So the idea that they have five starters in their bullpen uh, makes what happens with that group, there's going to be a time where they're going to have to eat a lot of innings and do some pretty special things for them to win the World Series. That's probably a question mark. And then kind of what version of Max Scherzer's left for this season.
0: Yeah, how does Boach handle Max? You know, I think I, whenever I saw him come out, I think it's two two thirds he went, and Max seemed surprised yeah. when Boach was walking out to to hold as out his hand to get the baseball. You know, it, I I don't want to say it seems like Max needs to be happy to when he goes out to pitch to see the bec, best Max, but I think he needs to feel like he's wanted and he's trusted. How do you think Boach will handle? That is it a conversation? Is it a upfront thing to say that we understand where you're, what you've done, what you've went through, how you've looked, what this season means to us? Is that a conversation? How do you think he handles that?
2: I would say other managers, yes. When we know this about Max Scherzer on game day, he just sees red, right? I mean, that's it. Sure, he's out there to compete. And he is not thinking about, like, what's my pitch count? How much do I have left? Like, he's just giving you everything he has until you pull the string. And, then, of course, we know that when that decision is made, rarely is he okay with it. But that's okay also, right? It's one of those things that you can appreciate um, the level of competitiveness that he brings to the table. Uh, with Bruce Boccia, I keep telling people the thing that has stuck out to me watching him now for a full season He is so convicted in his decisions when he makes them when it comes to the bullpen. There is no Bruce Bochy's going to go out there and get a feel for you and look you in the eyes and then keep you in the game. The crowd's going to cheer. I've wondered if that's ever happened in his career because I don't don't see it with him now. And he is strictly managing the game. And I think for both him and Max Scherzer, there are points in their career where they have pretty much seen it all. And nobody's worried about hurting anybody's feelings because everybody trusts Bruce Bochy's mission. He's trying to win a World Series, period. And he's got the pedigree. He's done it three times. This is now the fifth time that he's been to the World Series with three different teams. And it's not to say that you're going to do everything right all the time, but I think as a player, you know, we've had managers where maybe there's times you've doubted uh, some decisions that were made and the way they make their decisions. I don't think that exists with Bruce Bochy, even though they're not all going to be perfect. As a player, you accept it. And I don't And it's not. I don't say this in a bad way, but I don't think he cares about your feelings either. He cares about you as you know, as a player. Of course he does. Sure. But when the game is going on and in between the lines, uh, I don't think that at any moment for Bruce Bochy, he's thinking to himself, well, if I take him out here, I wonder what that's going to do to his confidence. I don't think he thinks like that. I think he thinks, what do I got to do to win the game right now? That means future Hall of Fame year coming out after two and two-thirds. We're
1: in conversation with C.J. Nitkowski on Blair and Barker. One of the hallmarks of the Arizona Diamondbacks through the regular season was their ability on the base pass. We didn't see that in the NLCS until the last two games of the series, where it, it, it clearly became a bit of a factor. Um, how are uh, how are the Rangers CJ when it comes to handling the running game? Um, obviously, Jonah Heim will be Heim will be behind the plate, but I'm thinking in particular of their pitchers. Is there is there anything in that part of the game that would either give you cause for concern or perhaps is actually a strength for the Rangers?
2: Jonah Heim was great this year. I want to say he was right around 30% caught stealing. League average uh, dropped out to 20% now with the bigger bases and the kind of the rules that it's at at 25% for years. Uh, we saw an increase there with the more stolen bases. Jonah was great. Uh, Bobby Wilson's our catching coach here with the Rangers, one of the best in the game. He had Jose Trevino went on to win a platinum glove the year after he left, and he gave Bobby a ton of credit for that. We have seen incredible growth from Jonah. Uh, we really haven't seen the other guys out there very much. Austin Hedges is here. He's a great framer. He's a great defensive guy. Mitch Garber probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for what he brings to the table defensively because he's been mostly DHing. Uh, this is Jonah Heim's show uh, for potentially seven games. He's going to have his hands uh, full, no doubt, with that team. You mentioned it. They did not run for five games. And Tori Lubello even announced and said, "And hey, we're going to get more aggressive. And they certainly did, a perfect eight for eight. In Game Six and Seven, so uh, there's confidence there. Yeah, there's it's going to be some there's going to be some moments. You know, one of the things that was interesting for us is that when Araldis Chapman came over from Kansas City, let's say he had 15 stolen bases against him coming out of the bullpen, and we're like, what in the world's going on? And he had zero with the Rangers. Like, so it was obviously more whatever was going on in Kansas City than maybe Chapman, and they've made some adjustments there. But it, it will be a factor. But I do believe the Rangers have an answer for
0: it. CJ, I saw that the that the Diamondbacks got more swing and miss in game six and seven against the Phillies. Now, the Phillies are – they take big daddy hacks, right? They're trying to hit the ball to the moon. Like, there are a lot yeah. of them dudes <laughs> that get paid to do those things. Yeah. The Rangers are sort of not like that. Now, they got guys, right, if they're hunting certain pitches that they're trying to do damage on to the pull side, but we have seen them early in games take what the pitcher gives them, right? It's that if he's going to throw me cutters away, I'm going to have to take that cutter. Right field is that the approach you think at least early in the playoffs is because you know the obviously the Diamondbacks had made some adjustments with whatever they were trying to do maybe more elevated fastballs maybe more sweepers or sliders and fastball counts do you think the that the Rangers will be able at least early in the series to adjust to that and stay within what they're trying to do and put uh, the balls in play that they're supposed to be putting in play.
2: I think so. You know, they made a little bit of an adjustment uh, with a few weeks to go in the season, getting the ball in the air a little bit too much. There were certain pitchers that are going to force you to pop the ball up. Like they got to Christian Javier the second time they saw him, but he's a fly ball pitcher, right? Lowest ground ball rate in all of baseball. He is going to force you to pop the ball up in the air. Same thing with Justin Berlander. When you run into certain guys that know how to use their fastball at the top of the zone and you got to play those mind games with yourself because it's got – you know, that really good uh, vertical break to it, meaning it just stays up longer, right? We used to talk about Sid Fernandez back in the day, and it almost looked like he had a rising fastball. Well, now they have numbers to put on that. And when you see those kinds of guys, uh, it can be a little bit more of a challenge. The Rangers adjusted accordingly when they had to. Uh, Lowest chase rate in baseball in the regular season, lowest chase rate so far here in the postseason. Uh, That is a huge improvement from where they were a couple of years ago. The one thing that sticks out, though, is that when all that stuff was going on with uh, Dolis Garcia, uh, the game in which he struck out four times and then eventually hit the home run, he was chasing everything. And that was like one of the biggest parts of his game, the fact that he had put that behind him. And so the emotion could come out, I guess, is kind of the point. And those first four strikeouts, if you watch them uh, kind of on a reel, you're just like, holy cow, like you can't believe what he was swinging at. Uh, but because it had, I think, more to do with what was going on, leading up to it in Game 5 and bench clearing and everything else and just trying to hit it every ball 500 feet. But for the most part, you're right. This, this uh, lineup does a pretty good job of taking what the pitcher gives you. Uh, they did have the uh, Diamondbacks for four games this year, but to see Merrill Kelly, this version of him right now, Brandon Falk, nobody's really seen this version of him, Uh, what he's putting up right now in the postseason. He was really good. Like, he's a completely different guy compared to who he was in the regular season for a young pitcher. So, uh, they'll definitely have their work cut out for them. Nathaniel Lowe, uh, I want to say fourth most opposite field hits in baseball somewhere there. But last couple years, that's all he does, right? Not say all he does, but he's really good at it. And so, yeah, you're right. They're working those guys away. They're spinning the baseball. Um, they're going to have a challenge, no doubt. But I think that uh, they'll make the adjustments they need to make.
1: CJ, hmm. I'm really interested in you know, the story. Tom Verducci reported this during the uh, during the broadcast uh, and has also written about it. But, you know, the the idea Donnie Ecker, one of the Rangers hitting coaches, talking about having to swing three or four baseballs higher than, than where you think it is to get on top of the ball. And it's something... My friend, Mr. Barker, used to talk about just kind of envisioning having a plate in front of home plate when you're when you're trying to when you're trying to handle certain pitches. That sounds really simple, even to the layman. It sounds really simple. Go up to the plate and just pretend that it's three fastballs or three balls higher. It's not simple, is it?
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I will tell you. I don't think it sounds simple. Even if we were having that conversation. And, and listen, I've talked to Donnie Ecker a bunch over these last couple of years and listened to him, and he really digs in. And the psychology of this whole thing based on all the information that these pitchers have is fascinating and what they try to get hitters to do. You know, when they're facing, again, going back to a guy like or the guys with a really good high rise on their fastballs and basically saying in their meetings, listen, your regular swing is not going to work here. Like to certain guys especially, the ones that maybe have just a little bit more of an uppercut or the plane of their swing just does not match well at all with that fastball. So we'll have that conversation, but they're also very well aware of the fact that they, they work hard to make you available and make you ready, but it's on you. Like if you don't change, you're going to have an 0 for 5 today, or at least an 0 for 3 or 4 versus this starter based on how we know he's going to attack you. And so the willingness to kind of play those mind games like you talked about, trying to hit the top half of the ball, which you never wouldn't want to do intentionally and really hit the ball on the ground unless you're trying to punch something through with two strikes, But to take that approach about the entire at-bat is a little bit of a change for some guys. And when they get those certain pitchers that they're going to match up against that have that kind of fastball, uh, they're going to have to get their hands above the baseball and they're going to have to play some mind games with themselves. It's really fascinating. Uh, I'm so envious of this generation that they have that information and that data and that they know how to use their pitches accordingly. You know, The progression for these guys happens so much faster. Uh, because they know exactly what they have, and they're no longer counting on just eyeballs or the feedback of a catcher to tell you, "Yeah, hey, that one's hit a little bit better. That's got some good rise. That sink is good." Um, those days are over, and they can take all of this and put together a game plan really, really quickly. And uh, then you've got a counter as a uh, as a hitter.
0: In, in your mind, what separates Nathan Evaldi this time of the year from any other pitcher?
2: It's a great question because he doesn't have. You know, the outward kind of emotion and high energy that we see, say, from Max Scherzer, right? Yep. At Max, Peak Max Scherzer when he's getting it done in big spots. You could see it. It's pretty obvious, right? Oh, if there's another gear there. And you, so, you know, it's just like a, you know, a muscle car going down the street. You can hear it and you can see it. Uh, with Nate Valdi, nothing changes uh, from what you see on the outside. Uh, and I got to tell you, obviously, the timing was great because, you know, he came off the I.L., he did not go on a rehab assignment because the Rangers were scuffling. They were 4-16 and over a 20-game span. Nothing was going right. They were like, we got to get this guy back in our rotation. His rehab assignment is going to be in the big leagues. And it didn't go well. I want to say he made six regular season starts, and nothing really stuck out. You're like, man, maybe they made a mistake here uh, doing that. And then all of a sudden, the postseason came. He flipped the switch, and he looked like Dana Baldy, the guy that was an American League Cy Young Award contender before he went on the I.L., um, and so, you know, hat tip to him that there is something special there on the inside, uh, mentally, no doubt for him, uh, that helps him, um, you know, turn it up when it matters the most. He, he's a pretty cerebral guy. He digs into his teammates a ton. You know, he's that guy watching your bullpens and getting feedback, and he's more mechanical and cerebral uh, than he is maybe some of the other guys that are just coming at you with everything uh, they have. Uh, not that he doesn't, but you know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's an yeah. interesting uh, way that he goes about things, but yet he still is also can do that, you know, that extra gear stuff. I, I'd probably put him more like in that, you know, Mike Messina, Oral Hershizer kind of category, right? Real bright guys with good stuff, but they also know how to turn it up even if they're not, uh, you know, you're a uh guy on the mound just trying to pull a cheese by you.
0: Yeah, that's great stuff. Last one before I let you go, CJ. I, uh, with what you do for the Texas Rangers, are you nervous in these games? Like I, I can remember the first time I went on live TV and I got nervous. I, you know, it got so bad, CJ, that I forgot the Toronto Blue Jays name. I had to write it on the top of my piece of paper because oh, when the little red light goes on, I got nervous. And because the moment's big, right? Are you nervous? Have you thought about this yeah. going into this thing about how you're going to handle it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, watching these postseason games, uh, there was much more emotion involved. Not that I didn't think it was going to happen, but I was in my kitchen by myself when Adolis Garcia hit one of those big home runs, and i probably got to go back and look at my security cameras, but my reaction, I didn't think I had that in me while I'm watching the game by myself, you know, quite honestly. And some of the words that come out of your mouth, I prefer not to uh, repeat or say around my children at certain times uh, during the games. But, no, you're in. I, I tell people all the time, you know, I grew up a Yankee fan, but the first time I rolled through Yankee Stadium and got my butt whooped, I was no longer a Yankee fan. I played for a bunch of teams and bounced around, so I never really had an allegiance anywhere, started doing national work. And then when I got this Ranger job seven years ago, I'm like, all right, this is a good job. And I was really excited about just the job and the career, quite honestly. And about two months in, I realized, I'm like, wow, I'm actually really emotionally attached to this thing. You find yourself rooting hard for the guys. You get ticked off when a guy gets hit by a pitch or brushed back or all the things that go along with the game. And for six years, this team was like 124 games below 500 for me. Like, there was never a contender in there. And so it was rough. And so to see them turn around as quickly as they have here, and now they're going to the World Series. Like, for me, it's still about the fans that have been at this for a much longer time than I have been uh, rooting for this team and pulling for this team that's been in Arlington since 1972. Um, but I love it, man. I am I'm all the way in. Uh, I try not to say we because I'm a broadcaster and to that guy. But, you know, it's uh, it's a blast. And absolutely all the emotions there and some nervousness and some like let's go and it's fun to see my family get into it as well and you start hearing from people. The thing that the only the only thing that's weird, man, and I don't never know how to handle it, is I'll get a text from somebody, buddy, old buddy, whatever it is, like, Oh man, congrats on the World Series. I'm like, I I didn't play, you know, I don't know what to say to that. I appreciate it. But I'm like, it's not me, it's them. You know. Uh, uh.
1: Anytime anybody congratulates you for anything, just take it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I figured it. Even if he didn't yeah. do it, man, just, you know, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for the thought. Uh, CJ, hey, thanks for yeah. doing this. Like we said, we know it's going to be a hectic time for you. Enjoy the yeah. ride, my friend. should be a lot of fun, and uh, take care. Thanks, CJ. Thanks, guys. Always fun to talk. All right. See ya. So, CJ Nitkowski, Rangers TV analyst, and hmm. uh, he and Ryan Spilborgs have a podcast called Negative War Positive Vibes. He also, of course, is an MLB uh, network radio host and as you may have heard you may have gathered a former major league pitcher 30 years ago what was it 30 years ago a couple of days ago i guess you can say that the toronto blue jays won their second of uh three sorry yeah yes wake up jeff second consecutive (laughs) world series that was the day of course i'll try not to that was the day of course That joe carter touched them all cito gaston was the manager of that team always good to talk to cito gaston but especially given this week what it means in Blue Jays history and also the fact that Cito is a candidate to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he is one of the names on the ballot of the Contemporary Era Committee. That is not a vote of baseball writers. That is a vote of Hall of Fame members and a committee of executives as well. Cito Gaston ought to have been in the Hall of Fame already. Um He's in our own personal Hall of Fame. Cito Gaston joins us next. It's a great interview, a lot of fun. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
3: Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's The Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: A reminder that you can uh, rate, review, and subscribe to Blair and Barker, the podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcast. And uh, we'll be doing the show through the Conclusion of the World Series. Then we will be doing a weekly podcast uh, following that after, of course, Mr. Barker and myself take a little bit of time off to uh, recharge the batteries. Um, you know, there are three African-American managers who two have won World Series. Uh, Dave Roberts, uh, Cito Gaston, who won it in 92-93, and Dusty Baker, who, of course, won as uh, manager of the Houston Astros last year. The Astros have scheduled a news conference for noon our time. No, one our time, 11 Houston time. That's probably the easiest way to do it. For 11 Houston time, uh, Jim Crane, the owner, of the Astros is scheduled to be there. Dana Brown, the general manager of the Astros is scheduled to be there. And Dusty Baker scheduled to be there as well. Bob Nightingale reporting that Dusty Baker uh, has decided to step down as manager of the Houston Astros. He's made it pretty clear that uh, he does not want to leave the game. I'm sure we'll see Dusty in some capacity. My guess is the commissioner's office has probably already called him and said, Hey, if you want to stay in the game, We got a job for you, but uh, it will be a sad day for a lot of us who are fans of Dusty Baker. But at the same time, uh, it will also be an opportunity to reflect on a a guy who's, as I said on Twitter, if you put together a Mount Rushmore of the really good people in the game, Dusty would very much be on it. So would our next guest, uh, Cito Gaston. Who is on the contemporary era ballot for Hall of Fame? Again, this is the writers do not vote on managers for the Hall of Fame. They vote on players. Uh, and, and once a player's eligibility has expired, that person, that player, goes into the committee process. Uh, Cito is on this year's ballot along with Jim Leland, Davey Johnson, uh, Joe West, the umpire, is on there as well. Um, As I said, Cito Gaston, the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, he's on the level of excellence. If you're a Blue Jays fan, he's already in the Hall of Fame as far as you're concerned. And uh, on this day where we celebrate Dusty Baker, it's uh, great to touch base with Cito Gaston, who, according to Dusty Baker, and this is a quote from Dusty Baker when he won the World Series, Cito Gaston, quote, was responsible really for me as a kid, when I first signed with the Braves. So we're very pleased to be joined by Cito Gaston. First of all, Cito, thank you for joining us. We trust we trust you're doing well. Um, just your thoughts on the, how you found out that uh, your name was up for consideration uh, by this era committee, which, of course, for people who don't know, uh, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Writers Association they vote for players who are eligible for the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. but uh, the committee process is separate from that. And I'm just wondering uh, what your what your thoughts were and what your thoughts are about uh, being
3: on that on that ballot this year. Well, first of all, I I had a lot of friends call and text me and, and, and let me know that I was on that ballot, and uh, that was great to hear. Um, I'm, I'm excited about it, uh, but I'm not going to get too excited about it. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it does not happen. So it's it's one of those things that I'm just going to continue with my life. And it comes up in Dece- December, and and uh, I get up, I get in. That would be that would be great. Does
1: does the um. Does the Hall of Fame mean anything different for a manager than, than for a player?
3: I, I think it's a little different. I uh, certainly would have loved to have made it as a player. And, uh, but it's certainly an honor to make it as a manager, too. I, I think that as a player, you would have had more time to go there and visit and visit with guys that you played with and guys you played against. And I think that would have been a lot of fun. Not that it would not be fun to go and visit with some of the managers you manage again. So, but I I think being a player is a little bit different uh, because you did it yourself. And uh, of course, you know, if I get in now, that means I had a lot of help uh, from teams, from teams I managed, guys that played for me. uh, So that I'm so proud of also. That's in the Hall of Fame. But it's a little different. But either way, I'll be happy with it.
0: Cito, do you ever sit around watching – other managers on TV and, 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 you know, try and manage along. And, and I don't want to say compare yourself, but, you know, sort of see how, you know, if you could make the sort of same kind of move and if it would work out in today's game, today's game's a little bit different than, you know, even when I played and when you managed, it's just, it's ran differently. Like it it is. And have you, do you ever sit around and, and, you know, watch other managers and go, man, I would have done that. Or yeah, that's sort of exactly what I would have done.
3: Well, I do, but I don't because you know I always said to myself these days that they're not paying me to do that, so I'm not going to strain my mind up with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stressed out with that kind of stuff, but I look at some of it and I, I do I do once in a while, but not too often, Kevin. I just said, you know, that's what they you know they pretty much have the game planned out before it starts. You know, they they know how long a pitch is going to stand. Uh, and um, I think they, you know, they have so many meetings nowadays that uh, I, don't, I don't even know if um, I don't even know if the manager get to make those choices all the time, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny because I could obviously covering baseball from 1989 on and all that. Anytime I see a move made where you know, like John Schneider taking out Jose Barrios or Tori Lovello taking out uh, yeah. uh, taking out uh, uh, Merrill Kelly uh in in that game instantly my reaction is boy I wonder how so-and-so would have reacted right I think Mm -hmm. automatically how would Jack Morris have reacted how would the guy that I covered Pedro (laughs) Martinez how would he have reacted if somebody came out to Pedro in the fifth inning and said hey third time through Pedro well we don't know if you could handle it we're we're going to the bullpen um how do you how do you stand on that like obviously the game changes right and you probably saw that when you came back to manage the Blue Jays the second time I'm sure there was a different set of different set different set of issues different thing to worry about then but you know I look at that game and I go, I understand that the person making that move first of all, I trust that they're smart I trust that their intentions are good, but man, I look at that and I just go. You know, I, I it's if a guy's dealing, let him deal. You know, I, I think one of the th- guys I heard on the, the on the it might have been Ron Darling said, you know, here's the thing. You know what the guy is doing right now. You don't know what the guy you're going to bring in is going to do. He just may not feel good that day. How do you feel about that when you watch when you watch those things happening?
3: Well, back back in my day, uh, you know, you you would go on two things there. He's pitching well. He's got, what, 47 pitches in four-hands or something like that, some crazy number. And he's pitching against a team that seemed to not want him. And that's going to get him up a little bit higher. to even go out and get him up a little bit uh, more that he wants to beat that team. But, you know, it's nothing against uh, uh, John. I I just don't know how they came to that uh, thought that that wasn't going to happen. I I guess they figured third time through the lineup, there's going to be some problems. But until those problems happen, I mean, I probably, I probably would have left them out there. Uh, you know, it's just me. But nowadays, they don't work like that. So you know, they're smarter than I am. So uh, and I, sometimes everything doesn't work out like it should. You know, and mm-hmm. I think, like you said, there, who knows if the next guy coming in has the same feeling that day uh, if he feels good or he, or he might be a little bit nervous. Who knows? But at the time, Bill, uh, yeah, he was pitching well, so. I I go by my guts and I would have left him in there myself, but that's just me,
1: you know? One of the things Buck Martinez said after the game was, you know, a manager sort of, a manager has to learn how to be able to tell people that I understand what you're telling me. I got it here in front of me, but you know, this is the way I'm going to go. Like sort of very politely, very directly kind of carve Sorry. out his territory. Um, Did you have to go through that when you managed, you know, sort of draw the line so that it was understood that, hey, ultimately, I I get what you're saying, but ultimately, I'm the guy that makes the decision, and I'm the guy that has to answer the question, so I'm going to do
3: this. That's absolutely right. I mean, I'm the guy, at the end of the day, that the writers are going to come to me or my general manager or owners are going to come to me and say, uh, why did you make that decision? Why did you, why'd you do that? And I have to feel like, uh, you know, I, I I have pictures that uh, I think the best thing to do is get to know you guys as quick as you can and know how far they can go and those, know which one, when you walk to that mom, is not telling you the truth. If you ask him how he's doing it, and uh, he says, I'm doing great. But there's some guys that don't, want, ever, don't ever want to come out even though they're not doing that well. But the one guy I had that was always honest with me when I walked that mile was Jimmy Key. And, of course, Jimmy got us to the 7th inning most of the time, and, you know, the rest of the way is, is history with Wardle and, and Henke. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, or, or, this day and time, I think, why not tell them before the game this is where it's going to go, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and go from there. If you get us to innings, you got so many pitches, If it's the third time around in the lineup, this is what's going to happen. And I I think things would work a little bit better that way. And I'm not sure. Maybe they do tell these guys that. I'm not sure about that, you know.
0: Ced, I want to ask you about 1993, but I I do want to follow up a little bit on that topic there. I, I, I would think this time of the year, because basically the people that you're having the conversations with are the people that, basically got you here right it's you know you're not going up and talking to the Kevin Barkers of the world who the 25th 2026 guy on a baseball team you're probably not going to do that it's going to be the Barrioses and the Gosman's and the you know the Vladimir Guerrero juniors and the Bo Bichette's of the world conversations like that say in 92 93 would have been hard like it would have been a hard conversation to call one of those names in a room and say you know uh, we uh, cuz basically they're trying to tell you that uh, feeling comfortable about the situation that will arise in a game we don't so much have that much confidence in you that conversation couldn't have been hard would you would it have been tough to have that
3: 9293 uh pretty sure it would have but kevin <laughs> yeah. i would i would have called i would have talked to you too I, everybody matters on the team for me <laughs> i yeah, would have talked sure. to you too. But, yeah, you know, back in those days, we didn't we didn't have those kind of talks with guys, you know. Uh, I would Anything I would say, if you can get me to seven or six, that would be great. If you can't, and I wouldn't say that before the game. That would be my thinking. But I'd be prepared in the, by having my guys in the bullpen ready to go. Uh, but I don't think we had those conversations. I know we didn't have those conversations back then. I mean, the toughest conversation I, I would have was trying to get Jack Morris out of the game, you know. <laughs> at the tour at the 140 pitches, you know. He still didn't want to come out of the game.
1: Uh, you know, that's funny. I, that was actually the first name I thought of was uh, was 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 Jack Morris. Hey, Sito, you know, when you look back at 92-93, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I don't know if people talk about enough is the fact that there was some turnover. There were some, some changes in that team between 92 and 93, and you were able you were able to run it back. When you look at those teams, is that kind of an aspect of that that, that stands out for you and, and just kind of increases the pride you had in those two teams? Because that's not always easy.
3: I I really do. And, uh, there were two different teams. I mean, the 92 team, uh, We just about every, everything. I mean, we had good starting pitcher. We had good, a good defensive ball club, a good hitting ball club, a great bullpen. And we switched out 14 guys the next year and brought in you know brought in 14 new guys and it was a different team and we won in a different way that year which is almost impossible uh but you go back and look out look at why we won you know we had John O'Rourke led the league in hitting, uh, hit and hit the hit 360 something and Molitor finished second and Robbie finished third we outscored people that year we didn't have the <laughs> we didn't have the same team I didn't have the same bullpen I didn't have the same stars I didn't have the same uh, defensive uh, ball club, but we just outscored people that year, which is, you know, yourself, Kevin, it's impossible to do that every night and win. It's almost impossible to do that. You have to have some uh, some one to nothing ball games or two to two to three ball games, things like that. But uh, we we switched out to uh, 14 guys and two different teams. Uh, I think sometimes it's so hard to win back to back years because guys, if you keep everybody, all the guys don't want to go through that together. It's quite a struggle. You kind of give up your family for the whole year uh and your, your teammates and your family because you spend more time with them grinding every day and trying to win and you know if I was, one thing I was disappointed in, in my career is that I never got manager of the year, and I think uh two times I should have been should have been qualified for, and that's when we started I first started managing we was twelve and twenty four and one on division, and then you switch out 20, fourteen guys and um you, you you come back and win the World Series again. So uh, I'm crying a little bit on, on that today. But that's, uh, even even that meant more to me than sometimes the Hall of Fame, which who knows if I'm going to get in there or not.
0: Yeah. Whenever I listen to you talk about the way you talk to players and listen to the passion that comes you know, from inside about just the game and and how you feel about yourself and what you're trying to bring to your players makes me sort of feel the way I feel about Dusty Baker. I was fortunate enough to play for him when I was with the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, he he was one of those guys, Cito, that would call you in the office even if you were, you know, not the Joey Votto's of the world and treat you like you were a Joey Votto of the world. And, you know, hearing him say that he's probably going to retire and not be, you know manager in Major League Baseball again, you know, it makes me a little sad. Like it's, He's a special yeah. dude, and I just want to get your thoughts on what you think of Dusty, and, and when you hear of a, a legend, I can call him that, he's a legend in baseball, yeah. a legend leaving yeah. the game of baseball. How does it make you feel?
3: Well, it makes me feel sad, and, and you know, I, I don't know if you guys been knowing, know this, but I've been knowing Dusty since he was 18 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, him and I played together in the Texas League, and uh, also played together in Atlanta. And we're still friends of the state. We still talk to each other. We still call each other. And I kind of had the feeling that, uh, being out the All Star game, spending some time with Dusty, that no matter how, how this came out, he's going to retire. And personally, I'm kind of happy that he is, that he's going to go and enjoy his life a little bit. Uh, you know, before you, you know, this is a stressful job out there with what he's doing. So I'm, I'm happy that he's going, but I'm sad he's going to. I wish he had another shot at winning one, winning back to back years. That would have been awesome for him. And like I said, he's a good friend. I haven't called him yet. I'm just gonna let him calm down a little bit and, and breathe a little bit. And I'll, I'll give him a call and uh, talk to him and uh, congratulate. He, he had a great career. I mean, this guy's an outstanding manager. And uh, like you just said, uh, you played for him. You know what kind of guy Dusty is. He's a great guy. He makes Absolutely. people feel at home. And uh, it's, that's what you have to do to be good manager. You have to make sure that everybody, everybody's a part of the team. You wouldn't carry 26 or 25 guys that they weren't part of the team.
1: You know? you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I think, just knowing you a little bit, knowing Dusty a little bit from, you know, covering him in the postseason and that, being around him when he was managing, is, it seems to me that both of you really strive to be consistent. You know, like be the person, let the person that you are come through, as a manager how how hard is that to do, Cito? You know, to, to sort of it's, make sure that you are consistent in what you do and that you do treat people well and, yeah.
3: you know, let people breathe, basically. Exactly. It's, it, it, it's, it's not hard in certain ways because, you know, sometimes – I've never lied to a player, but you can't tell them everything. You just can't tell them everything. You have to answer some other kind of way because – uh, certain things that, you know, if we're trying to get a guy through waivers or we're trying to make a move over here, I can't tell them because they might tell someone else. And uh, that's part, but I never lied to a player. The closest I ever had come to line to a player was David Wells, uh, the day that they were going to release him, which I didn't even know that until they, 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 they did it. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that they just asked me to ask him to come over to Jack Russell, as opposed to letting him go home that day. Cause it was a short day for David and uh, But the rest of the time, you just be honest with those guys. Think about when you played. I, I think about when I played and managed I had that wasn't honest to me or uh, didn't treat me uh, fairly. I I don't ever want to treat anyone that way. And, you know, you get the best out of your players if you're honest to them and, and let them know what's going on ahead of time. Like, I would call guys in, hey, when you need a help, let me know. And uh, I I fixed it so nobody would know. I got a lot of criticism for not got, having guys pinch it on the off day. But I know how that feels. And you have an off day and you go up and pinch it. If you make, if you get a hit, it's great. But you, you make an out, you just ruin your whole off day. And to me, I think that just wins you more games down the road if you treat people like that.
1: Cito, listen, we really appreciate you joining us today. Yep. Again, be well. Um enjoy the off season and we really we boy, we look forward to talking to you. I hope the the news at the winter meetings this year is good. And thanks very much for doing this.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Hey, thank you guys. And let me tell you I enjoy your shows. They're great. Thank you.
1: Thanks, <laughs> thank Cedo. Be well. All right. We appreciate gas and joining us. That's it for us. We'll be back tomorrow from eleven to noon Eastern.